Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. The decision is yours. By Tawfiq Adifai. Part uh, 9 of Book 1. Page 249. Third gathering, survival between the Torah, Gospel, and Quran. Introduction. The first thing that attracted my attention when I entered the house of Dr. Dreamer was a huge old book lying open on a table. I said to him, what is this book? He said, this is the Torah. Then he pointed to a desk next to it and said, This is the gospel. Then he added, And this is the Quran that you gave me when I came to see you in Dubai. In that tranquil atmosphere, we came together again, academic minds from different specialties. You had the feeling that each of these minds contains enough knowledge to fill specialized libraries. There is sufficient evidence of the level of the people present and the topics discussed in the fact that the one who interpreted between me and this group was Professor Dr. Lutfi Nuruddin, the eminent cardiac surgeon who made scientific discoveries about the valves of the heart. He sometimes took part in the discussion also. The topic that presented itself on this evening was the three books that lay before us in the room. They said what they said about the Torah and Gospel, and then Dr. Dreamer said, I am very pleased with the gift of my brother Abu Hamid. When I visited him in Dubai, he gave me a copy of the Noble Quran. Even though I have my own views about the Quran, the gift is precious to me. Hence, hence I will fulfill the promise I made when I said to him, I will read all of it and think about it. On a weekend evening, Isabella invited a group of compatible souls of widely diverging beliefs and different specialties, some of whom are heads of medical departments or in senior positions in the workplace. In Dubai, I had invited Isabella and two of her colleagues to my house, and now she invited me and nine others as if she was returning my hospitality threefold. She has my thanks and appreciation for her Portuguese hospitality uh, on a French soil on this pleasant night in this beautiful room. After welcoming us, Dr. Dreamer took something like a small diary out of his pocket and said, this was given to me by Pope Paul when he visited Syria and I was asked to check his health there. This diary contained a number of sayings about etiquette and morals that had been selected by the Pope himself from the Gospel. It is no secret that I love this man a great deal because he was my patient and because he is a man of faith. Abu Hamid I know very well the way in which Dr. Dreamer introduces topics so that the people in the gathering will start discussing them and time will pass without them realizing until the time ends, whether by day or by night. I could sense from these opening remarks 
of his that he wanted us to talk about the gospel and in fact that was my wish also but I wish that we had a French priest with us during uh, this wonderful evening Dr. Dreamer don't worry because the lady of the house Isabella has invited the gentle man sitting opposite to you whose name is Professor Bob he's one of the senior specialists in gospel studies in Portugal and he speaks French and English very well I would like to read uh, to you a few sentences from this diary which I was given by uh, the Pope or Pope Paul Abu Hamid, these words of wisdom that the dreamer has read to us from the gospel are beautiful words with which no wise rational person would disagree. I think it is most likely that they are from the gospel that was revealed to Jesus, peace be upon him. But my question to Dr. Dreamer is, is all of the gospel of the same refined style? In other words, can you read the gospel with the utmost confidence that you will not come across irrational phrases or irreconcilable contradictions dr dreamer yes you can read it and rest assured of the refined level with which the gospel speaks but these phrases that i read to you are phrases that touch people's hearts and are in tune with their lives isn't the gospel the word of god would any man feel ashamed to read the word of god abu hamid my dear professor, I wish that you would approach religious studies with the same academic empirical research methodology that brought you to this elevated level of scientific knowledge. I do not want to hide my inward feelings from you. As much as I admire the academic level that you have reached in the empirical sciences as Europeans, especially the French in the field of medicine, at the same time I'm frustrated and amazed at the way in which you read the gospel and the way you research it and the way you research it and deal with it. I wish that you dealt with the gospel in the same way as you research and study the sciences with your eyes open, subjecting everything to critical analysis, sifting the reports, rulings, and history contained therein, and overcoming the barrier of fear which often makes us wonder why you do not have an investigative approach to these issues. Uh, is this fear due to the memory of the church burning the earliest scientists at the stake, or is it fear of confronting the masses? Or is it due to the spiritual vacuum and lack of alternatives? Or is it because you approach religion on the basis that it is no more than a relic, having nothing to do with real life, while life progresses with or without it? Or is it because you feel that you have to uh, stick with the gospel when confronting Muslims and Jews? The truth is too great to be limited to one land or country or to belong to just one color, language, race or continent. Truth is the requirement of every person, every soul, everyone who loves the truth. You did not reach the truth and facts concerning the nervous system and become one of the leading figures in this field except when you adopted a new a neutral, except when you adopted a neutral and serious approach in researching the facts. I hope that this approach applies here and in all things. If you notice what you said just now, divinely revealed books, 
This implies that you believe that what was revealed from heaven is one book that was uh, revealed from heaven to Jesus, peace be upon him, and no more. So how come in the church and marketplace there are four Gospels? Which one of these four Gospels was revealed from heaven? The matter does not require any thought. These Gospels are not the Gospel that was revealed from heaven, and that's, and, and that's that, or that's it. You may ask whoever you want. This is not only my view, it is also the view of your priest. The story is very difficult and very sad. The story is that the gospel which Allah sent down to Jesus, peace be upon him, disappeared from that time until now. If you wish, you may say that it was hidden. Dr. Dreamer, what is the evidence that uh, it has disappeared? Why don't you say that it never existed in the first place? Is it possible that we had the gospel in the name of Jesus, peace be upon him, then we took it and hid it? What interest would be served by doing that? Is it in our interest to break our ties with Jesus? We might as well break our ties with Christianity altogether. If you imagine that it is in our interest to conceal the gospel, then perhaps it is in your interest to conceal the Quran or to conceal part of the Quran. I cannot imagine even for a moment that the one who has the truth could conceal his documentary proof thereof. Abu Hamid, you have stated the answer yourself. What God revealed was one gospel as he revealed one Torah, one Zabur Psalms, and one Quran. How come each of these books remained as one except the gospel, which became four gospels? Doesn't this issue deserve to be examined? The issue does not need a great deal of research. Rather, a quick look at the names will suffice. This is the gospel of whom? The answer is, this is the gospel of Matthew, that is the gospel of Mark, that the third is the gospel of Luke, and the fourth is the gospel of John. Aren't these four different uh, people? According to all Christians with no uh, descent these are human beings and they are the writers of the gospels so these four gospels are attributed to four human beings a quick glance at the contents of the gospels will also show you that one is not like the other and all four are different the issue is clear and needs no more than a glance at the titles without delving into the depths depths of history in order to understand the facts let us go back to the first question why did all the divinely revealed books remain as one, but the gospel turned into four gospels? Ask whomever you want of the church scholars, where is the gospel of Jesus? Take your time and look for an answer, but beware of ignoring your reason and accepting any answer. You have gone straight to the heart of the matter with your question. Have you seen a man trying to hide his ID papers? I say, Yes, hiding his ID papers, which prove that he is in the wrong and that what he has is mostly distorted, as we shall prove it uh, if we have time in this gathering, and we shall prove what exactly has been distorted. Professor of Gospel Studies, Bob. I hope that you will not exaggerate too much about this issue. The fact that you should know 
which may solve every problem and answer all your questions is that these gospels are the gospels that are regarded as true by us as Christians. As for that which is called the gospel of Jesus, it is one of the illusions of the uh, Muslims who wanted to cause confusion and doubt thereby. If you have any historical proof or any testimony that uh, it does exist, then show it to our brothers and the people so as to support what you are saying. A claim without evidence is uh, a false claim, as you know. Yes, each of these Gospels may be called the Gospel of Jesus on the basis that their source was Jesus. But if we say that a specific Gospel was revealed to Jesus and that other Gospels carry no weight, this is one of the illusions of the Muslims which they used to try to cast doubt in the minds of Christians with regard to their greatest source, Abu Hamid. Could our stubbornness reach could our stubbornness reach such a level that we deny that Jesus' blessings and peace be upon him brought the gospel? Isn't this fact a given among all religions? What does the professor and all those who believe that the gospel of Jesus does not exist say about this testimony in the first chapter of the gospel of Mark? Let's read it. After John was put in a prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Mark chapter 1 verses 14 and 15. Which of the four gospels that are extant now, which of the four gospels that are extant now is Jesus referring to? at a time when no gospel had been written. Was Jesus calling people people to believe in the gospels of his followers when he said believe in the gospel? Another testimony appears in the epistle of Paul to the Romans in the first chapter thereof. Let's read it. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God whom I serve with my whole heart in uh, preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness who is my constant, sorry, is my witness how constantly I remember you. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you. Romans chapter 1 verses 8 and 9. Christ himself said that the gospel was revealed to him from God, and the angel Gabriel delivered it to him. Christ said, I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, John 8, verse 38. I do nothing on my own, I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me, John chapter 8, verse 28. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. John chapter 14 verse 24. Moreover, it says in Paul's second epistle to Timothy, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. 
So Christ indicated that he took the gospel from God and that it was not a message that he had prepared himself. When he said, For I gave them the words you, God, gave me. John 17, uh, or chapter 17, verse 8. All these quotations which you cannot reject clearly mention the gospel without attributing it to John or anyone else because it is the gospel of Jesus. That is because the gospels were not known or his followers did not have gospels. Does it make sense for Jesus to have preached the gospels and words of his followers? Moreover, what value does the gospel have at all if it was not revealed to Jesus, peace be upon him? What is the value of these four gospels without Jesus, peace be upon him? Would you be satisfied to take away from Jesus, peace be upon him, the book that was revealed to him in order to justify your falsehood and make room for these distorted gospels? Moreover, is a prophet to whom a book was revealed equal to a prophet to whom no book was revealed? So why do you seek to demote Jesus, blessing and peace be upon him, when you deny that he received a book? Isn't this the same methodology that was used by those who wronged Jesus, peace be upon him, and his followers, killing some of them, and then concealing his gospel forever? I hope that you will pause before each and every piece of information as you pause before a picture that you admire and wonder. Why wasn't it examined thoroughly? How come you missed this essential observation? You will wonder how come you spent your entire life without examining this picture uh, thoroughly. Why did this image remain in our minds of our Gospels, our beliefs of Jesus, peace be upon him, and Mary, peace be upon her, and of our uh, own minds too, while we were looking at it and passing by it without realizing Will we persist in adding to our days of heedlessness or will we stop and wonder starting from today? These facts that I am going to tell you are nothing new for most priests and those whom and those who know about Christianity. These facts that I am going to tell you uh, are nothing new for most priests and those who know about Christianity, but they are unknown to the Christians' masses. Do you know that the Gospels were not written at the time of Jesus, peace be upon him, rather they were written after he was raised to heaven at different periods between 30 to 98 years after that? The letter is the date when the Gospel of John was written. Uh, give or take minor differences of opinion among the histo- uh, give or take minor differences of opinion among the, hist- the historians. Do you know that the original sources of the Gospels that were written after the time of Jesus, peace be upon him, are not extant? Ask whomever you wish about one Gospel written in the hand of its original author. Ask whom you wished about the Gospel of Matthew that exists now. What is the original language in which it was written? Was it the same language in which it has come down to us? Will Durant, Will Durant says, the reliable reports that the Gospel of Matthew is older than the other Gospels. Irenaeus believes that it was originally written in Hebrew, i.e. Aramaic, but it has only reached us in Greek. The critics are inclined to say that it was written by one of the followers of Matthew, 
and it is not the words of the tax collector, i.e. Matthew himself. Most of the scholars take its origin even further back to the years between 75 and 90 CE as the aim that Matthew sought was to guide the Jews. He relied more than than other evangelists on the miracles that are attributed to Christ and is very keen to the point of suspicion to prove that many Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled at the hands of Christ. The difference of opinion among Christian writers over when this gospel was written sheds doubt on its attribution to Matthew. Wasn't it written in Aramaic? Is there one copy of it in this language anywhere in the world? Is the name of the one who translated it from Aramaic to Greek known to any historian? Or is it unknown? Could I accept could I accept my belief and my religion from an unknown man? Would that the matter were like that and no more? Would that the matter were like that and no more? But just as the gospel of Jesus, peace be upon him, was lost, the original copies of the four gospels have also been lost. Just as those gospels have been lost, the original copy of the Gospel of Matthew, which was written in Aramaic, has also been lost, and there is only a translation of it into Greek. Do you know that the number of Gospels written after the time of Jesus, peace be upon him, is more than 100? All of those Gospels were destroyed except for, four, uh, except for these four. That occurred at the Council of Nicaea, the most important Christian council which was held on the orders of the Emperor Constantine the Great in 352 or in 325, sorry, in 325 CE. Why did he destroy more than 96 Gospels? Why did he destroy more than 96 Gospels and leave these four in, in particular? Dr. Dreamer. I hope that you will pause here and show us what you mean by your accusation that in the other Gospels which were eradicated, as you claim, there is a proof against us against us, and material that contradicts these Gospels. How is that? Where do they differ specifically? Abu Hamid. The only answer is that those gospels at that time, close to the time of Jesus, peace be upon him, had something in common, which was the call to believe in the oneness of God and the view that Jesus, peace be upon him, was entirely human. These uh, four gospels were kept because of a common factor that they shared, which was belief in the Trinity and the view that Jesus, peace be upon him, was divine. The historians know full well that there was a very strong call for belief in divine oneness at that time, which was contrary to the religious and political trends led by Constantine the Great. The most famous of those who called for belief in divine oneness and the view that Jesus, peace be upon him, was human, was Arius. It is sufficient for you to know that the time when the Gospels were written was a time of persecution of Christians when the followers of the Messiah and their followers were, were being killed at a time when some of them hid and some of them became hypocrites. It is sufficient for you to know that among the historical facts that cannot be denied, 
is the fact that this persecution of Christians grew worse from uh, from the end of Jesus' time, and it continued without stopping except briefly for 313 years. For 313 years. Permit me to uh, to briefly talk about that sad period in the history of Christianity so that those who have forgotten may remember and then reach the right conclusions. I do not think that we will dispute about these points because they are a matter of history. They have been transmitted by your historians and not by Muslim historians. But nevertheless, if anyone disagrees, let him say so. The first persecution that befell the Christians happened at the time of the Messiah and ended with the end of his time on earth. After that, hardships befell the Christians along the same lines. Uh, two Caesars came after. Uh, two Caesars came after Tiberius, or Ty- Tiberius, or Tiberius, the contemporary of the. Two Caesars came after Tiberius, the contemporary of the Messiah, who were who were very harsh towards his followers, killing many of them. During the time of the second of these two, Matthew wrote his gospel in Hebrew, and it was translated by John, the author of the gospel, into Greek. Persecution during the time of these two Caesars did not come only from the Romans, but also from the Jews. The harm they caused was more severe, and their tampering with doctrine was more devastating because they were of the same people and mixed with them and interacted with them so they knew them very well. The worst persecution that befell them occurred during the reigns of Nero 64 CO sorry the worst persecution that befell them occurred during the reigns of Nero 64 CE Trajan 106 CE Decius 249 to 351 CE and Diocletian 280 CE. Nero stirred up a lot of uh, trouble for them, inflicted persecution on them. He accused them of being behind the burning of Rome, so he punished them for that. The last four years of his rule were uh, particularly terrible for them. He and his supporters devised all sorts of methods of torture for them. They dressed some of them in animal skins and threw them to the dogs to tear them apart, crucified some of them and doped some of them in tar and set them ablaze to provide light. Nero himself walked in the light in the light of these human torches. During the reign of Nero, Mark wrote his gospel in 61 CE in Egypt, and Peter, who was in Rome, copied it. During the reign of Nero, Mark wrote his gospel in 61 CE in Egypt, and Peter, who was in Rome, copied it. Luke also wrote his gospel during the reign of of this Caesar. His gospel starts with a passage stating that he was sending it to his uh, correspondent, uh, Theophilus, to confirm to him the soundness of the words. During this period or after, John also wrote his gospel. During the reign of Trajan, persecution also befell them because they had the habit of praying in secret for fear of persecution. Trajan ordered that their secret meetings be banned and he inflicted uh, torture and humiliation upon them. 
for that reason and because they were Christians and they did not follow the religion of Caesar. Let the patriarch Alexander describe what he suffered at the hands of Decius after having experienced some uh, mercy from his uh, predecessor. He says, We hardly had any relief until fear overwhelmed us and danger surrounded us when that king who had been more merciful to us and less evil than others was replaced by another. As soon as he ascended the throne, he directed his attention towards us and started to persecute us. Our fears materialized when he issued a very harsh command and we became very scared and some fled. He banned all Christians from public service, no matter how intelligent, intelligent they were, and he ordered that every Christian he was told about be brought immediately to the pagan temple to the pagan temple and be asked to offer a sacrifice to the idol. The punishment if he refused to offer the sacrifice was that he himself would become the sacrifice after they had tried to force him to do that by means of fear. <clears throat> the calamity was not limited to Egypt. Christians were persecuted throughout the Roman Empire wherever they were found. <clears throat> Decius was succeeded by another who inflicted persecution upon the Christians, but the worst of all of them in inflicting torture and persecution was uh, Diocletian, Diocletian who came to them after the persecution had abated somewhat and they hoped that he would be good to them and would help them because his head of staff was a Christian. But he was worse than others for the Christians, especially the Egyptians, because the Egyptians saw nations who had freed themselves from Roman rule. So they followed their example and started to seek freedom and independence. They appointed a leader from amongst themselves. Diocletian came to Egypt and inflicted persecution upon them, put a stop to their independence and reconquered them. Most of them at that time were Christian, so he ordered that their churches be destroyed, their books be burned, and their pastors and bishops be arrested and thrown in jail. He oppressed the Christians, forcing them to give up their religion. During this period, many Copts were martyred, more than 140,000. Some historians put the number at 300,000. Because so many were martyred, and because of the calamities that befell them, the, re the reign of uh, Diocletian became so serious for the Egyptians that they made it the start of their calendar. That was in the year 284 CE. Persecution at the hands of the Caesars of Rome continued until the time of Constantine, which was a time of blessing and ease for the Christians, but not for Christianity. After this painful glimpse of Christian history, I would like to remind you of some men who had principles and who had power and authority. Then things turned against them. I would like to remind you of President Tito or the Egyptian uh, President Abdel Nasser or the Iraqi President Saddam Hussein. Were their principles, were their principles, decisions and writings when they were in power the same as when their positions became shaky? Were their principles, 
decisions and writings when they were in power the same as when their positions became shaky was the protection of Saddam's principle at the time of his victory over Iran like his protection of them when Baghdad was about to fall on the day when American forces entered the city for the first time and 19 provinces fell in 1991 were his principles and writings protected after Baghdad fell and the man was arrested did any protection remain for him after he was executed by hanging what befell the messiah and his companions was far worse and far more deadly nothing was left of the principles religion and symbols of the messiah rather they became top of the list of the list of wanted men can we say that those who killed the christian scholars made christian uh, people food for wild animals and fuel for torches to light the way came to protect Christianity or to protect the gospel. If we can say that, then we can say that those who conspired against the Messiah or who wanted to protect his principles or preserve the gospel are those who screamed at the Roman governor, kill him and his blood will be upon us and our children. Professor of Gospel Studies all the evidence that you have produced to show that the four Gospels are distorted is no more than an illusion. At best, we can call it wishful thinking. There is not a single piece of certain evidence to prove that they are distorted. Moreover, this era that you mentioned ended with Constantine, who supported the Christians and brought Christianity into a stage of security. But you ended your comments with a phrase that was either clever or skeptical, which is when you said concerning Constantine that persecution at the hands of Caesars of Rome continued until the time of Constantine, which was a time of blessing and ease for Christianity, but not for Christians. What is this outrageous differentiation that you make, Abu Hamid, between Christianity and Christians? Abu Hamid, I thank you for this question because I kept quiet about what Constantine did to Christianity and did not explain it because I thought it was well known to you. Yet I believe it is indeed well known to you, Professor, at least. This is not unlikely because this is your specialty. It is well known that Constantine reigned between 305 and 337 CE that he adopted a completely different policy to his predecessors. And instead of continuing the war against Christianity, he tried to mix it with idolatry during his reign and to unite it in one religion to be adopted by the state so as to unite the state and make it stronger, as historians mention. The empire had one ruler or one emperor until the time of Constantine's father when it was divided in 285 CE into eastern and western halves. Each half was given an emperor and a deputy. The, debu the deputies in each of the two parts became independent. Each of them became an emperor and thus for the first time in its history the Roman Empire came under the rule of four emperors, each of whom ruled over an independent area. Constantine came to power in 305 CE and found himself confronted with the three other emperors. Uh, Valerius, Valerius, 
Licinius, Valerius Licinius, uh, Maximinus Dea, in the eastern half of the emperor, sorry, in the eastern half of the empire, and Maxentius, who was the counterpart in the eastern half, and Maxentius, who was his counterpart in the western half. Constantine came to an agreement with Licinius, who was related to him through marriage to his sister Constantinia, and formed an alliance with him at Milan in 313 CE before the final battle with his opponent and competitor in the east, Maximinus Dea. Constantine defeated Maximinus Dea, who was competing with him for rule of the western part of the empire in the battle of uh, Milivian Bridge in 312 CE. Then he helped uh, Licinius to get rid of his opponent Maximus Dea the following year. After that, he fought against Licinius himself in a series of wars from 313 until he defeated him and killed him in 323 CE. Thus, he defeated the three emperors. He was an idolater who believed in the worship of the sun god. He was an idolater who believed in the worship of the sun god Sol uh, Invictus, uh, the sun god Sol Invictus, whom he regarded as the only god. He filled all the trappings of state, such as banners and coinage, with symbols of his uh, idolatrous religion and he erected statues to his god everywhere. All his life, he acted as the high priest of the religion of sun worship. He called his reign the era of sun emperorship. Yet he was also influenced by Christianity all his life, but it is proven that he was not baptized as a Christian except when he was uh, dying in 337 CE, when perhaps, ad, when perhaps advantage was taken of his weakness to resist as he lay dying, as some researchers have suggested. Constantine worked on an evil plot to mix religions and bring them closer together and unite them so that the state would have one cohesive, harmonious religion. The authors of the Holy Blood and the Holy Grail say in page th- three, uh, the authors of the Holy Blood and the Holy Grail say, page 388 of the 1996 edition, faith was for Constantine a political matter, and any faith that was conducive to unity was treated with forbearance. Constantine would build a church on one side of a city, and at the same time erect statues to the mother goddess uh, Sibylla and the sun god in another part of the city as he did in Constantinople when he conquered it in 330 CE, i.e. after the Council of Nicaea. In order to win his approval, the Pauline Christian Church went along with what he wanted. They adopted Sunday, the day of sun, as the weekly day of rest instead of Saturday, the Sabbath, which the early Christians with their Jewish background were still observing. Each day of the week was named after a heavenly body. Saturday was named for the planet Saturn, 
Sunday was the sun uh, was the day of the sun, and Monday was the day of the moon. In 321 CE, Constantine issued orders that the courts. In 321 CE, Constantine issued orders that the courts be closed on Sundays, which he regarded as the day of weekly rest, and the Christian Church followed him in that. The Church took the birthday of the sun, the winter uh, solstice in the northern hemisphere when the days begin to lengthen after they reach the point at which they are shortest december 25 as a festival marking the birth of the messiah that was originally an idolatrous festival in which the sun was regarded as divine and worshipped in persia and rome as is proven and well known thus they followed in Paul's footsteps by hypocritically following the people of other religions and showing readiness to change their own religion in order to appease them. The hypocrisy concerning Constantine went even further. The church acknowledged him as the awaited Messiah, the Savior, who was to come at the end of, of time. The matter went so far that the Pope in Rome, Eusebius, regarded Constantine as uh, divine and stated that the creator was embodied in him the authors of the messianic legacy quote comments on the words of eusebius in the following passage as key says commenting on this address by eusebius since the beginning of the word it is to constantine alone that the power of salvation has been given christ is set aside Christ is, ex is excluded and now Christ is formally denied. Constantine now stands alone as the savior of the world. It is the right of anyone who reads what the historians have written about how Jesus' blessing and peace be upon him was deliberately ignored, even though he was regarded as divine, to regard Constantine as the enemy of Christ, even if he only takes the issue at face value without delving more deeply into it. The strongest turning point for Christianity was when Constantine called for the Council of Nicaea in 325 CE, where a large number of Christian scholars, which some historians put at more than 2,000, assembled. But Constantine adopted the view of a minority, uh, 318 bishops who believed in the divinity of Christ, and he intervened directly even though he was an idolater in composing the doctrinal text that was adopted by the council of nicaea and imposed on all christians in the empire everything that went against was regarded as heresy not merely a difference of opinion to highlight the serious damage that constantine did to christianity as a religion when he personally wrote the text of christian doctrine during the council of nicaea I shall quote here the words quoted by the authors of the dark side of Christian history, which were written by Walter Nick in his book, The Heretics. He said, Constantine dealt with the matter of religion from a political angle only by expelling all the bishops who he expected would not sign the new declaration of faith, and in this manner he achieved the unity he wanted. It was something completely unheard of for a comprehensive doctrine to be formed on the basis of an, imp an emperor's authority who was still a beginner 
in receiving the teachings of the faith and who was not yet accepted by the holy class of bishops and who was not at all qualified to rule on subtle matters of doctrine which he had not mastered. Yet, not a single bishop said a word against this abhorrent action. When the reader realizes that this doctrine, when the reader realizes that this doctri- doct- doctrinal text written by Constantine himself for the people who gathered at the Council of Nicaea still forms the foundation and reference point for the doctrine, doctrine of all Christian groups, he will understand the extent of the distortion that Constantine wrote on Christianity. According to the most correct view, Constantine was still an idolater up to that point. At best, he was still a beginner according to the author quoted above. Historians think that it was difficult for Christianity, which believed in Jesus' blessing and peace be upon him as a human messenger, to accept the religious mixture that Constantine was promoting and that the doctrine that Jesus was the divine incarnate was completely in harmony with the beliefs of the idolatrous nations who prevailed at that time including the belief in sun worship, Sol Invictus, which Constantine supported and which absorbed other religions, including Christianity, whose clergy accepted for it to flourish under the umbrella of sun worship and coexist with its idolatry and even to adopt many things from it which made it a new religion which in fact belonged more to Constantine than to the early Christians. One of the most serious steps that he took came in the following year when he issued a decree that all works and writings that opposed the decree of Nicaea were to be collected and destroyed. Then in 331 CE, he ordered that a new version of the Bible be issued with the authors of the book mentioned above regard as one of the single most decisive factors in the entire history of Christianity and provided Christian orthodoxy the adherence of the message with an unparalleled opportunity. We should note here that the emperor uh, Diocletian had destroyed all Christian writings that could be found. The authors of the books referred to above, the authors of the books referred to above, believe that he gave free reign to the bishops present at Nicaea to subtract from from and add to the books whatever they thought was in accordance with their beliefs. So so that the reader will not underestimate the seriousness of this step, the authors mentioned above state uh, that of the 5,000 extant early manuscripts of the New Testament, the Gospels and Christian epistles, not one predates the 4th century. The New Testament as it exists today is essentially a product of 4th century editors and writers, custodians of orthodoxy, adherents of the message, with vested interest to protect when they wrote, with vested interest to protect when they wrote the New Testament. Constantine went even further than that. He established the papal system that still exists in Rome and gave the church a fixed income and a center based in the uh, Lateran Palace in Rome. Concerning this, the authors of the Messianic legacy, from whom I have also quoted many of the facts mentioned above, said, 
it is fair to state that Christianity, as we know it today, derives ultimately not from Jesus' time, but from the Council of Nicaea, and to the extent that Nicaea was largely Constantine's handiwork, Christianity is indebted to him. The extent to which Christian teachings were changed after Constantine is also is also highlighted by what Burton L. Mack wrote in the Lost in the Lost Gospel, where he said, after Constantine, the Christ was depicted as one who had power over death and as the ruler of the universe. The author mentions that before that, the author mentions that before that, the image of the Christ had been that of a savior of the people and of the nation and one who would guide them to the hereafter. To sum up this discussion of the extent of the changes introduced by Constantine to Christianity, the most recent of the religion, sorry, the most recent of the religions of divine origin at his time, we may note what the author referred to above uh, what what the author referred to above said. Christianity as we know it today is closer to the system of idolatrous beliefs than to its Jewish origins. My dear professors, what doubt can be greater or more serious than the fact that none of the Christians have a single copy of the gospel that predates the 4th century CE? What an alarming interruption, what an alarming interruption this is. Who can fill this frightening gap? Do you know who confirmed the changes that Paul made by means of political decisions? The other greater calamity, in addition to the fact that these Gospels were not written by Jesus, peace be upon, is that these four men who wrote these Gospels were not all disciples of Jesus, peace be upon him. Matthew and John alone were disciples of Jesus, peace be upon him. Luke was not his disciple, and Mark was a student of Peter, the disciple. Matthew and John alone were disciples of Jesus, peace be upon him. Luke was not his disciple. And Mark was a student to Peter, the disciple. In fact, John, the author of the gospel, is not the same as John, the disciple and uh, companion of Jesus, peace be upon him, as has been proven by Christian scholars themselves. Can you imagine that? Over and above all that, over and above all that, the original sources of these four gospels do not exist. Alhamdulillah. I'll stop here. This is part 10 of book 1. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. In the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. The decision is yours. By Tawfiq Adifai. Part uh, 9 of Book 1, page 249. Third Gathering Survival Between the Torah, Gospel, and Quran. Introduction The first thing that attracted my attention when I entered the house of Dr. Dreamer was a huge old book lying open on a table. I said to him, what is this book? 
He said, this is the Torah. Then he pointed to a disc next to it and said, this is the gospel. Then he added, and this is the Quran that you gave me when I came to see you in Dubai. In that tranquil atmosphere, we came together again, academic minds from different specialties. You had the feeling that each of these minds contains enough knowledge to fill specialized libraries. There is sufficient evidence of the level of the people present and the topics discussed in the fact that the one who interpreted between me and this group was Professor Dr. Lutfi Nuruddin, the eminent cardiac surgeon who made scientific discoveries about the valves of the heart. He sometimes took part in the discussion also. The topic that presented itself on this evening was the three books that lay before us in the room. They said what they said about the Torah and Gospel, and then Dr. Dreamer said, I am very pleased with the gift of my brother Abu Hamid. When I visited him in Dubai, he gave me a copy of the Noble Quran. Even though I have my own views about the Quran, the gift is precious to me. Hence, hence I will fulfill the promise I made when I said to him, I will read all of it and think about it. On a weekend evening, Isabella invited a group of compatible souls of widely diverging beliefs and different specialties, some of whom are heads of medical departments or in senior positions in the workplace. In Dubai, I had invited Isabella and two of her colleagues to my house, and now she invited me and nine others as if she was returning my hospitality threefold. She has my thanks and appreciation for her Portuguese hospitality uh, on French soil on this pleasant night in this beautiful room. After welcoming us, Dr. Dreamer took something like a small diary out of his pocket and said, This was given to me by Pope Paul when he visited Syria. And I was asked to check his health there. This diary contained a number of sayings about etiquette and morals that had been selected by the Pope himself from the Gospel. It is no secret that I love this man a great deal because he was my patient and because he is a man of faith. Abu Hamid, I know very well the way in which Dr. Dreamer introduces topics so that the people in the gathering will start discussing them and time will pass without them realizing until the time ends, whether by day or by night. I could sense from these opening remarks of his that he wanted us to talk about the gospel and in fact that was my wish also but i wish that we had a french priest with us during uh, this wonderful evening dr dreamer don't worry because the lady of the house isabella has invited the gentle man sitting opposite to you whose name is professor bob he's one of the senior specialists in gospel studies in portugal and he speaks French and English very well. I would like to read uh, to you a few sentences from this diary, which I was given by uh, the Pope or Pope Paul. 
Abu Hamid, these words of wisdom that the dreamer has read to us from the gospel are beautiful words with which no wise rational person would disagree. I think it is most likely that they are from the gospel that was revealed to Jesus, peace be upon him. But my question to Dr. Dreamer is, is all of the gospel of the same refined style? In other words, can you read the gospel with the utmost confidence that you will not come across irrational phrases or irreconcilable contradictions? Dr. Dreamer, yes, you can read it and rest assured of the refined level with which the gospel speaks. But these phrases that I read to you are phrases that touch people's hearts and are in tune with their lives. Isn't the gospel the word of God? Would any man feel ashamed to read the word of God? Abu Hamid, my dear professor, I wish that you would approach religious studies with the same academic empirical research methodology that brought you to this elevated level of scientific knowledge. I do not want to hide my inward feelings from you. As much as I admire the academic level that you have reached in the empirical sciences as Europeans, especially the French in the field of medicine, at the same time I'm frustrated and amazed at the way in which you read the gospel and the way you research it and the way you research it and deal with it. I wish that you dealt with the gospel in the same way as you research and study the sciences with your eyes open, subjecting everything to critical analysis, sifting the reports, rulings, and history contained therein, and overcoming the barrier of fear which often makes us wonder why you do not have an investigative approach to these issues. Uh, is this fear due to the memory of the church burning the earliest scientists at the stake, or is it fear of confronting the masses? Or is it due to the spiritual vacuum and lack of alternatives? Or is it because you approach religion on the basis that it is no more than a relic, having nothing to do with real life, while life progresses with or without it? Or is it because you feel that you have to uh, stick with the gospel when confronting Muslims and Jews? The truth is too great to be limited to one land or country or to belong to just one color, language, race, or continent. Truth is the requirement of every person, every soul, everyone who loves the truth. You did not reach the truth and facts concerning the nervous system and become one of the leading figures in this field, except when you adopted a, new, a neutral, except when you adopted a neutral and serious approach in researching the facts. I hope that this approach applies here and in all things. If you notice what you said just now, divinely revealed books. This implies that you believe that what was revealed from heaven is one book that was uh, revealed from heaven to Jesus, peace be upon him, and no more. So how come in the church and marketplace there are four gospels? Which one of these four gospels was revealed from heaven? The matter does not require any thought. These Gospels are not the Gospel that was revealed from heaven, and that's, and, and that's that, or that's it. You may ask whoever you want. This is not only my view, it is also the view of your priest. The story is very difficult and very sad. The story is that the Gospel which Allah sent down to Jesus, peace be upon him, disappeared from that time until now. If you wish, you may say that it was hidden. 
Dr. Dreamer, what is the evidence that uh, it has disappeared? Why don't you say that it never existed in the first place? Is it possible that we had the gospel in the name of Jesus, peace be upon him, then we took it and hid it? What interest would be served by doing that? Is it in our interest to break our ties with Jesus? We might as well break our ties with Christianity altogether. If you imagine that it is in our interest to conceal the gospel, then perhaps it is in your interest to conceal the Quran or to conceal part of the Quran. I cannot imagine even for a moment that the one who has the truth could conceal his documentary proof thereof. Abu Hamid, you have stated the answer yourself. What God revealed was one gospel as he revealed one Torah, one Zabur Shams, and one Quran. How come each of these books remained as one except the gospel, which became four gospels? Doesn't this issue deserve to be examined? The issue does not need a great deal of research. Rather, a quick look at the names will suffice. This is the gospel of whom? The answer is, this is the gospel of Matthew, that is the gospel of Mark, that the third is the gospel of Luke, and the fourth is the gospel of John. Aren't these four different uh, people? According to all Christians with no uh, dissent, these are human beings and they are the writers of the gospels. So these four gospels are attributed to four human beings. A quick glance at the contents of the gospels will also show you that one is not like the other and all four are different the issue is clear and needs no more than a glance at the titles without delving into the depths depths of history in order to understand the facts let us go back to the first question why did all the divinely revealed books remain as one but the gospel turned into four gospels ask whomever you want of the church scholars where is the gospel of jesus Take your time and look for an answer, but beware of ignoring your reason and accepting any answer. You have gone straight to the heart of the matter with your question. Have you seen a man trying to hide his ID papers? I say, yes, hiding his ID papers which prove that he is in the wrong and that what he has is mostly distorted as we shall prove it uh, if we have time in this gathering and we shall prove what exactly has been distorted. Professor of Gospel Studies, Bob. I hope that you will not exaggerate too much about this issue. The fact that you should know which may solve every problem and answer all your questions is that these Gospels are the Gospels that are regarded as true by us as Christians. As for that which is called the Gospel of Jesus, it is one of the illusions of the uh, Muslims who wanted to cause confusion and doubt thereby. If you have any historical proof or any testimony that uh, it does exist, then show it to our brothers and the people so as to support what you are saying. A claim without evidence is uh, a false claim, as you know. 
Yes, each of these Gospels may be called the Gospel of Jesus on the basis that their source was Jesus. But if we say that a specific Gospel was revealed to Jesus and that other Gospels carry no weight, this is one of the illusions of the Muslims which they used to try to cast doubt in the minds of Christians with regard to their greatest source, Abu Hamid. Could our stubbornness re reach could our stubbornness reach such a level that we deny that Jesus' blessings and peace be upon him brought the gospel? Isn't this fact a given among all religions? What does the professor and all those who believe that the gospel of Jesus does not exist say about this testimony in the first chapter of the gospel of Mark? Let's read it. After John was put in a prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Mark chapter 1 verses 14 and 15. Which of the four gospels that are extant now, which of the four gospels that are extant now is Jesus referring to? at a time when no gospel had been written. Was Jesus calling people, people to believe in the gospels of his followers when he said believe in the gospel? Another testimony appears in the epistle of Paul to the Romans in the first chapter thereof. Let's read it. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God whom I serve with my whole heart in uh, preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness who is my constant, sorry, is my witness how constantly I remember you. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in uh, preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you. Romans chapter 1 verses 8 and 9. Christ himself said that the gospel was revealed to him from God, and the angel Gabriel delivered it to him. Christ said, I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, John 8, verse 38. I do nothing on my own, I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me, John chapter 8, verse 28. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. John chapter 14 verse 24. Moreover, it says in Paul's second epistle to Timothy, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. So Christ indicated that he took the gospel from God and that it was not a message that he had prepared himself. When he said, For I gave them the words you, God, gave me. John 17, uh, or chapter 17, verse 8. All these quotations which you cannot reject clearly mention the gospel without attributing it to John or anyone else because it is the gospel of Jesus. That is because the Gospels were not known or his followers did not have Gospels. Does it make sense for Jesus to have preached the Gospels and words of his followers? 
Moreover, what value does the gospel have at all if it was not revealed to Jesus, peace be upon him? What is the value of these four gospels without Jesus, peace be upon him? Would you be satisfied to take away from Jesus, peace be upon him, the book that was revealed to him in order to justify your falsehood and make room for these distorted gospels? Moreover, is a prophet to whom a book was revealed equal to a prophet to whom no book was revealed? So why do you seek to demote Jesus, blessing and peace be upon him, when you deny that he received a book? Isn't this the same methodology that was used by those who wronged Jesus, peace be upon him, and his followers, killing some of them, and then concealing his gospel forever? I hope that you will pause before each and every piece of information as you pause before a picture that you admire and wonder, why wasn't it examined thoroughly? How come you missed this essential observation? You will wonder how come you spent your entire life without examining this picture uh, thoroughly. Why did this image remain in our minds of our Gospels, our beliefs of Jesus, peace be upon him, and Mary, peace be upon her, and of our uh, own minds too, while we were looking at it and passing by it without realizing? Will we persist in adding to our days of heedlessness, or will we stop and wonder starting from today? These facts that I am going to tell you are nothing new for most priests and those, whom, and those who know about Christianity. These facts that I am going to tell you uh, are nothing new for most priests and those who know about Christianity, but they are unknown to the Christians' masses. Do you know that the Gospels were not written at the time of Jesus, peace be upon him, rather they were written after he was raised to heaven? at different periods between 30 to 98 years after that. The letter is the date when the Gospel of John was written. Uh, give or take minor differences of opinion among the histo- uh, give or take minor differences of opinion among the, hist- the historians. Do you know that the original sources of the Gospels that were written after the time of Jesus peace be upon are not extant? Ask whomever you wish about one gospel written in the hand of its original author. Ask whom you wished about the gospel of Matthew that exists now. What is the original language in which it was written? Was it the same language in which it has come down to us? Will Durant, Will Durant says the reliable reports that the gospel of Matthew is older than the other gospels? Irenaeus believes that it was originally written in Hebrew, i.e. Aramaic, but it has only reached us in Greek. The critics are inclined to say that it was written by one of the followers of Matthew, and it is not the words of the tax collector, i.e. Matthew himself. Most of the scholars take its origin even further back to the years between 75 and 90 CE as the aim that Matthew sought was to guide the Jews. He relied more than uh, than other evangelists on the miracles that are attributed to Christ and is very keen to the point of suspicion to prove that many Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled at the hands of Christ. 
The difference of opinion among Christian writers over when this gospel was written sheds doubt on its attribution to Matthew. Wasn't it written in Aramaic? Is there one copy of it in this language anywhere in the world? Is the name of the one who translated it from Aramaic to Greek known to any historian? Or is it unknown? Could I accept could I accept my belief and my religion from an unknown man? Would that the matter were like that and no more? Would that the matter were like that and no more? But just as the gospel of Jesus, peace be upon him, was lost, the original copies of the four gospels have also been lost. Just as those gospels have been lost, the original copy of the gospel of Matthew, which was written in Aramaic, has also been lost, and there is only a translation of it into Greek. Do you know that the number of gospels written after the time of Jesus, peace be upon him, is more than 100? All of those gospels were destroyed except for four, uh, except for these four. That occurred at the Council of Nicaea, the most important Christian council which was held on the orders of the Emperor Constantine the Great in 352 or in 325, sorry, in 325 CE. Why did he destroy more than 96 Gospels? Why did he destroy more than 96 Gospels and leave these four in, in particular? Dr. Dreamer, I hope that you will pause here and show us what you mean by your accusation that in the other Gospels which were eradicated, as you claim, there is a proof against us, against us and material that contradicts these Gospels. How is that where do they differ specifically abu hamid the only answer is that those gospel at that time close to the time of jesus peace be upon him had something in common which was the call to believe in the oneness of god and the view that jesus peace be upon him was entirely human these uh, four gospels were kept because of a common factor that they shared which was belief in the trinity and the view that Jesus, peace be upon him, was divine. The historians know full well that there was a very strong call for belief in divine oneness at that time, which was contrary to the religious and political trends led by Constantine the Great. The most famous of those who called for belief in divine oneness and the view that Jesus, peace be upon him, was human was Arius. It is sufficient for you to know that the time when the Gospels were written was a time of persecution of Christians when the followers of the Messiah and their followers were, were being killed a time when some of them hid and some of them became hypocrites. It is sufficient for you to know that among the historical facts that cannot be denied is the fact that this persecution of Christians grew worse from, uh, from the end of Jesus' time and it continued without stopping except briefly for 300 and 13 years for 313 years permit me to uh, to briefly talk about that sad period in the history of christianity so that those who have forgotten may remember and then reach the right conclusions i do not think that we will dispute about these points because they are a matter of history they have been transmitted 
by your historians and not by Muslim historians. But nevertheless, if anyone disagrees, let him say so. The first persecution that befell the Christians happened at the time of the Messiah and ended with the end of his time on earth. After that, hardships befell the Christians along the same lines. Uh, two Caesars came after uh, two Caesars came after Tiberius or Ty- Tiberius or Tiberius, the contemporary of the two Caesars came after Tiberius, the contemporary of the Messiah, who were who were very harsh towards his followers, killing many of them. During the time of the second of these two, Matthew wrote his gospel in Hebrew, and it was translated by John, the author of the gospel, into Greek. Persecution during the time of these two Caesars did not come only from the Romans, but also from the Jews. The harm they caused was more severe, and their tampering with doctrine was more devastating because they were of the same people and mixed with them and interacted with them, so they knew them very well. The worst persecution that befell them occurred during the reigns of Nero, 64 CO. Sorry, the worst persecution that befell them occurred during the reigns of Nero, 64 CE, Trajan, 106 CE, Decius, 249 to 351 CE, and Diocletian, sorry, Diocletian, 280 CE. Nero stirred up a lot of uh, trouble for them, inflicted persecution on them. He accused them of being behind the burning of Rome, so he punished them for that. The last four years of his rule were uh, particularly terrible for them. He and his supporters devised all sorts of methods of torture for them. They dressed some of them in animal skins and threw them to the dogs to tear them apart, crucified some of them and doped some of them in tar and set them ablaze to provide light. Nero himself walked in the light in the light of these human torches. During the reign of Nero, Mark wrote his gospel in 61 CE in Egypt, and Peter, who was in Rome, copied it. During the reign of Nero, Mark wrote his gospel in 61 CE in Egypt, and Peter, who was in Rome, copied it. Luke also wrote his gospel during the reign of of this Caesar. His gospel starts with a passage stating that he was sending it to his uh, correspondent, uh, Theophilus, to confirm to him the soundness of the words. During this period or after, John also wrote his gospel. During the reign of Trajan, persecution also befell them because they had the habit of praying in secret for fear of persecution. Trajan ordered that their secret meetings be banned and he inflicted uh, torture and humiliation upon them for that reason and because they were Christians and they did not follow the religion of Caesar. Let the patriarch Alexander describe what he suffered at the hands of Decius after having experienced some uh, mercy from his uh, predecessor. He says, We hardly had any relief until fear overwhelmed us and danger surrounded us when that king who had been more merciful to us and less evil than others was replaced by another. As soon as he 
ascended the throne, he directed his attention towards us and started to persecute us. Our fears materialized when he issued a very harsh command and we became very scared and some fled. He banned all Christians from public service, no matter how intelligent intelligent they were, and he ordered that every Christian he was told about be brought immediately to the pagan temple to the pagan temple and be asked to offer a sacrifice to the idol. The punishment if he refused to offer the sacrifice was that he himself would become the sacrifice after they had tried to force him to do that by means of fear. <clears throat> the calamity was not limited to Egypt. Christians were persecuted throughout the Roman Empire wherever they were found. <clears throat> Decius was succeeded by another who inflicted persecution upon the Christians, but the worst of all of them in inflicting torture and persecution was uh, Diocletian, Diocletian, who came to them after the persecution had abated somewhat, and they hoped that he would be good to them and would help them because his head of staff was a Christian. But he was worse than others for the Christians, especially the Egyptians, because the Egyptians saw nations who had freed themselves from Roman rule. So they followed their example and started to seek freedom and independence. They appointed a leader from amongst themselves. Diocletian came to Egypt and inflicted persecution upon them, put a stop to their independence and reconquered them. Most of them at that time were Christian, so he ordered that their churches be destroyed, their books be burned, and their pastors and bishops be arrested and thrown in jail. He oppressed the Christians, forcing them to give up their religion. During this period, many Copts were martyred, more than 140,000. Some historians put the number at 300,000. Because so many were martyred, and because of the calamities that befell them, the, re the reign of uh, Diocletian became so serious for the Egyptians that they made it the start of their calendar. That was in the year 284 CE. Persecution at the hands of the Caesars of Rome continued until the time of Constantine, which was a time of blessing and ease for the Christians, but not for Christianity. After this painful glimpse of Christian history, I would like to remind you of some men who had principles and who had power and authority. Then things turned against them. I would like to remind you of President Tito or the Egyptian uh, President Abdel Nasser or the Iraqi President Saddam Hussein. Were their principles, were their principles, decisions and writings when they were in power the same as when their positions became shaky? Were their principles, decisions and writings when they were in power the same as when their positions became shaky? Was the protection of Saddam's principle at the time of his victory over Iran like his protection of them when Baghdad was about to fall on the day when American forces entered the city for the first time and 19 provinces fell in 1991? Were his principles and writings protected after Baghdad fell and the man was arrested? Did any protection remain for him after he was executed by hanging? What befell the Messiah 
and his companions was far worse and far more deadly. Nothing was left of the principles, religion, and symbols of the Messiah. Rather, they became top of the list of the list of wanted men. Can we say that those who killed the Christian scholars made Christian uh, people food for wild animals and fuel for torches to light the way came to protect Christianity or to protect the gospel? If we can say that, then we can say that those who conspired against the Messiah or who wanted to protect his principles or preserve the gospel are those who screamed at the Roman governor, kill him and his blood will be upon us and our children. Professor of Gospel Studies All the evidence that you have produced to show that the four Gospels are distorted is no more than an illusion. At best, we can call it wishful thinking. There is not a single piece of certain evidence to prove that they are distorted. Moreover, this era that you mentioned ended with Constantine, who supported the Christians and brought Christianity into a stage of security. But you ended your comments with a phrase that was either clever or skeptical, which is when you said concerning Constantine that persecution at the hands of Caesars of Rome continued until the time of Constantine, which was a time of blessing and ease for Christianity, but not for Christians. What is this outrageous differentiation that you make, Abu Hamid, between Christianity and Christians? Abu Hamid, I thank you for this question because I kept quiet about what Constantine did to Christianity and did not explain it because I thought it was well known to you. Yet I believe it is indeed well known to you, Professor, at least. This is not unlikely because this is your specialty. It is well known that Constantine reigned between 305 and 337 CE and that he adopted a completely different policy to his predecessors. And instead of continuing the war against Christianity, he tried to mix it with idolatry during his reign and to unite it in one religion to be adopted by the state so as to unite the state and make it stronger as historians mention. The empire had one ruler or one emperor until the time of Constantine's father when it was divided in 285 CE into eastern and western halves. Each half was given an emperor and a deputy. The, debu the deputies in each of the two parts became independent. Each of them became an emperor and thus for the first time in its history the Roman Empire came under the rule of four emperors each of whom ruled over an independent area. Constantine came to power in 305 CE and found himself confronted with the three other emperors, uh, Valerius, Valerius Licinius, Valerius Licinius, uh, Maximinus Dea, in the eastern half of the emperor, sorry, in the eastern half of the empire, and Maxentius, who was the counterpart in the eastern half, and Maxentius, who was his counterpart in the western half. Constantine came to an agreement with Licinius, who was related to him through marriage to his sister Constantine, Constantine, Constantinia, 
and formed an alliance with him at Milan in 313 CE before the final battle with his opponent and competitor in the East, Maximinus Dea. Constantine defeated Maximinus Dea, who was competing with him for rule of the western part of the empire in the Battle of uh, Milivian Bridge in 312 CE. Then he helped uh, Licinius to get rid of his opponent, Maximinus Dea, the following year. After that, he fought against Licinius himself in a series of wars from 313 until he defeated him and killed him in 323 CE. Thus, he defeated the three emperors. He was an idolater who believed in the worship of the sun god. He was an idolater who believed in the worship of the sun god Sol uh, Invictus. Uh, the sun god Sol Invictus, whom he regarded as the only god. He filled all the trappings of state, such as banners and coinage with symbols of his uh, idolatrous religion, and he erected statues to his god everywhere. All his life, he acted as the high priest of the religion of sun worship. He called his reign the era of sun emperorship. Yet he was also influenced by Christianity all his life, but it is proven that he was not baptized as a Christian except when he was uh, dying in 337 CE, when perhaps, ad- when perhaps advantage was taken of his weakness to resist as he lay dying, as some researchers have suggested. Constantine worked on an evil plot to mix religions and bring them closer together and unite them so that the state would have one cohesive, harmonious religion. The authors of the Holy Blood and the Holy Grail say, in page three, uh, the authors of the Holy Blood and the Holy Grail say, page 388 of the 1996 edition, faith was for Constantine a political matter. And any faith that was conducive to unity was treated with forbearance. Constantine would build a church on one side of a city and at the same time erect statues to the mother goddess uh, Sibylla and the sun god in another part of the city, as he did in Constantinople when he conquered it in 330 CE, i.e. after the Council of Nicaea. In order to win his approval, the Pauline Christian Church went along with what he wanted. They adopted Sunday, the day of sun, as the weekly day of rest instead of Saturday, the Sabbath, which the early Christians with their Jewish background were still observing. Each day of the week was named after a heavenly body. Saturday was named for the planet Saturn. Sunday was the sun. Uh, was the day of the sun, and Monday was the day of the moon. In 321 CE, Constantine issued orders that the course. In 321 CE, Constantine issued orders that the courts be closed on Sundays, which he regarded as the day of weekly rest. And the Christian Church followed him in that. The Church took the birthday of the sun, the winter uh, solstice, in the northern hemisphere when the days begin to lengthen after they reach the point at which they 
are shortest, December 25, as a festival marking the birth of the Messiah. That was originally an idolatrous festival in which the sun was regarded as divine and worshipped in Persia and Rome as is proven and well known. Thus they followed in Paul's footsteps by hypocritically following the people of other religions and showing readiness to change their own religion in order to appease them. The hypocrisy concerning Constantine went even further. The church acknowledged him as the awaited Messiah, the Savior, who was to come at the end of, of time. The matter went so far that the Pope in Rome, Eusebius, regarded Constantine as uh, divine and stated that the Creator was embodied in him. The authors of the Messianic legacy quote comments on the words of Eusebius in the following passage. As Key says, commenting on this address by Eusebius, since the beginning of the word it is to Constantine alone that the power of salvation has been given. Christ is set aside, Christ is, ex- is excluded, and now Christ is formally denied. Constantine now stands alone as the savior of the world. It is the right of anyone who reads what the historians have written about how Jesus' blessing and peace be upon him was deliberately ignored, even though he was regarded as divine, to regard Constantine as the enemy of Christ, even if he only takes the issue at face value without delving more deeply into it. The strongest turning point for Christianity was when Constantine called for the Council of Nicaea in 325 CE, where a large number of Christian scholars, which some historians put at more than 2,000, assembled. But Constantine adopted the view of a minority, uh, 318 bishops who believed in the divinity of Christ, and he intervened directly, even though he was an idolater, in composing the doctrinal text that was adopted by the Council of Nicaea and imposed on all Christians in the empire. Everything that went against was regarded as heresy, not merely a difference of opinion. To highlight the serious damage that Constantine did to Christianity as a religion when he personally wrote the text of Christian doctrine during the Council of Nicaea, I shall quote here the words quoted by the authors of the dark side of Christian history, which were written by Walter Nick in his book, The Heretics. He said, Constantine dealt with the matter of religion from a political angle only by expelling all the bishops who he expected would not sign the new declaration of faith, and in this manner he achieved the unity he wanted. It was something completely unheard of for a comprehensive doctrine to be formed on the basis of an an emperor's authority who was still a beginner in receiving the teachings of the faith and who was not yet accepted by the holy class of bishops and who was not at all qualified to rule on subtle matters of doctrine which he had not mastered. Yet, not a single bishop said a word against this abhorrent action. When the reader realizes that this doctrine, when the reader realizes that this doctrinal text written by Constantine himself 
for the people who gathered at the Council of Nicaea still forms the foundation and reference point for the doctrine, doctrine of all Christian groups. He will understand the extent of the distortion that Constantine wrote on Christianity. According to the most corrective view, Constantine was still an idolater up to that point. At best, he was still a beginner according to the author quoted above. Historians think that it was difficult for Christianity, which believed in Jesus' blessing and peace be upon him as a human messenger, to accept the religious mixture that Constantine was promoting and that the doctrine that Jesus was the divine incarnate was completely in harmony with the beliefs of the idolatrous nations who prevailed at that time, including the belief in sun worship, Sol Invictus, which Constantine supported and which absorbed other religions, including Christianity, whose clergy accepted for it to flourish under the umbrella of sun worship and coexist with its idolatry, and even to adopt many things from it which made it a new religion which in fact belonged more to Constantine than to the early Christians. One of the most serious steps that he took came in the following year when he issued a decree that all works and writings that opposed the decree of Nicaea were to be collected and destroyed. Then in 331 CE he ordered that a new version of the Bible be issued with the authors of the book mentioned above regard as one of the single most decisive factors in the entire history of Christianity and provided Christian orthodoxy, the adherence of the message, with an unparalleled opportunity. We should note here that the emperor uh, Diocletian had destroyed all Christian writings that could be found. The authors of the books referred to above the authors of the books referred to above believe that he gave free reign to the bishops present at Nicaea to subtract from, from and add to the books whatever they thought was in accordance with their beliefs. So, so that the reader will not underestimate the seriousness of this step, the authors mentioned above state uh, that of the 5,000 extant early manuscripts of the New Testament, the Gospels and Christian epistles, not one predates the 4th century. The New Testament as it exists today is essentially a product of 4th century editors and writers, custodians of orthodoxy, adherents of the message, with vested interest to protect when they wrote, with vested interest to protect when they wrote the New Testament. Constantine went even further than that. He established the papal system that still exists in Rome and gave the church a fixed income and a center based in the uh, Lateran Palace in Rome. Concerning this, the authors of the Messianic Legacy, from whom I have also quoted many of the facts mentioned above, said, it is fair to state that Christianity as we know it today, derives ultimately not from Jesus' time, but from the Council of Nicaea, and to the extent that Nicaea was largely Constantine's hand, handiwork, Christianity is indebted to him. The extent to which Christian teachings were changed after Constantine is also, is also highlighted by what Burton L. Mack wrote in The Lost 
in the lost gospel where he said after Constantine the Christ was depicted as one who had power over death and as the ruler of the universe the author mentions that before that the author mentions that before that the image of the Christ had been that of a savior of the people and of the nation and one who would guide them to the hereafter to sum up this discussion of the extent of the changes introduced by Constantine to Christianity the most recent of the religion sorry the most recent of the religions of divine origin at his time we may note what the author referred to above uh, what what the author referred to above said Christianity as we know today is closer to the system of idolatrous beliefs than to its Jewish origins my dear professors what doubt can be greater or more serious than the fact that none of the Christians have a single copy of the gospel that predates the 4th century CE what an alarming interruption what an alarming interruption this is who can fill this frightening gap do you know who confirmed the changes that Paul made by means of political decisions the other greater calamity in addition to the fact that these gospels were not written by Jesus peace be upon is that these four men who wrote these gospels were not all disciples of Jesus peace be upon him Matthew and John alone were disciples of Jesus peace be upon him Luke was not his disciple and Mark was a student of Peter the disciple Matthew and John alone were disciples of Jesus peace be upon him Luke was not his disciple and Mark was a student to Peter the disciple in fact John the author of the gospel is not the same as John the disciple and companion of Jesus peace be upon him as has been proven by Christian scholars themselves can you imagine that over and above all that over and above all that the original sources of these four gospels do not exist alhamdulillah i'll stop here this is part 10 of book 1